So we are going to go into a series um, about the book of Jonah. Several of you, you know this story, and so uh, you remember it from your childhood, and maybe further from that. I wish I had a flannel graph board to help me illustrate this for you. Um, but this will be like a five-week-long uh, Sunday school class, you know. Um, but uh, so one of the reasons why I want to go into this book of Jonah, to kind of go back into the story in the Old Testament, is I think that for some reason this story gets forgotten in our Sunday school classes of our childhood. Um, when I uh, say the word Jonah, several of you think of vegetables, and um, those come to mind, and, 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 and uh, the characters in the story turn into to vegetables. And veggie tales are great for, for kids, but not so sure they're God's divine revelation. Um, but uh, uh, um, I want to go back because I think this is a, a great story of how God interacts with his people. And um, we actually, thank you, um, we actually, uh, uh, as a church, taught this story just a few months ago in our kids program. And um, I have the privilege of having uh, several kids, four kids in that program. And our, um, our three-year-old at the time learned the story and she came home and she told us that. So I'm going to let her tell you in her words the story of Jonah and then I'm going to um, try to retell it best I can. So let's watch this video. This is the story about Jonah and, and God said go and he said no and, and jumped in the boat and then he hides from God and then he got him in the water and then he saw the big fish of it was a whale mm-hmm. and then he swallowed him up all the way his tummy. And then he got him out, and then, um, and then, he, and then he said, "Go!" and he said, "Yes." <gasps> wow! What a good story. Can I see the bear? <laughs> so, uh, that was uh, uh, four or five months ago. Uh, Wombaland, our, our monkeys' classroom, did that in a. Um, she uh, wanted to retell the story. So that, that was her story. I found that video on, on Facebook last night. But uh, um, I want to I hit here um, with this story of Jonah. Um, as you uh, heard Rio say um, that there was a, a whale, a whale. She says it very, very, very Southern now. Um, and so we'll have to correct that. Um, but some of you, you get, you know, first you get, you get hung up on the, the whale. I have uh, my, my son Cannon is very, very, uh, you know, he's, He's literal. He wants it's it's rules. We got to talk about this. And when he, we say Jonah and the whale, he gets really mad. He's like, "It's not a whale. It's, it was a great fish. It was a fish. Whales are mammals." And, and you know. And so when you say whale, it's wrong. And I just want just want to say um, that this book was written uh, of Jonah was we understand was written in 790 BC. We discovered that whales were mammals in 1778. So. About 3,000 years later, we discovered that. So we're going to be okay with the whole whale or great fish. Don't, it won't change the story at all if it was a shark or a whale. He's, he was in the belly. So we're good with it. So don't get hung up on that part. But I want you to know that Jonah was an actual prophet. He wasn't an asparagus. He was an actual prophet in his time. He, he, he was prophesying to actual people. And it was during an actual time period in history. It was about 800 BC when, when this happens. And we know that Jonah was a northern prophet, which is awesome. Um, it was, you can, 
Second Kings uh, 14 talks about this is when the kingdom of Israel was split to south and north um, uh, Israel. And, and he was from the northern part of it. And he, uh, uh, would, he would come and he was given this message to, to uh, tell the people that the northern kingdom was going to expand. That it was going to get bigger. So depending on where you were from, you either liked Jonah or you didn't like him. But the elements of the story, they seem to fit Hollywood. They seem to fit into a, a storybook, right? And so whether you read the book of Jonah as literal or as a parable, either way you look at the story, it's still God's revelation of who he is. And we know that in the New Testament, we find in Matthew that Jesus, he takes the book of Jonah and he says, this is authoritative. This is divine revelation of who God is. That this story communicates and reveals to us who God is. And the book of Jonah's, the function for it in Israel's history was powerful and it was a divine revelation from God. It wasn't just a story for kids. But the story was uh, read together as a family. It was read together as a tribe. Uh, The rabbis would teach this to their students. And it served as a reminder of who God was, who God is, this, this God that they were in relationship with. And for us, 2015, the story functions the same way. This is a revelation of who God is. The story reveals to us who he is. And at the same time, it reveals our hearts and who we are. Here is what God is like, and and then here is what I'm like at times. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so here we are. We got Jonah and he's told to go, right? He says, God says, go preach to the people of Nineveh. That their wickedness of the city has come up against me and that the city is going to be overturned. Now, if you don't know your, your, uh, your maps, Nineveh is in Assyria. Um, it's about 500 miles away, uh, Nineveh is about 500 miles away from Jerusalem where, where uh, um, Jonah is. I have a map. Throw the map up on the screen if you have it back there. So you got Joppa, which is going to be the port that, that uh, Jonah takes off from. But Nineveh is about 550 miles into um, Assyria, which is now Iran. And it is uh, um, Maskul. Uh, actually, it's Maskul Iraq is the uh, uh, name of uh, where Nineveh is now. That's what the city is now. But and we'll, we'll see how uh, Jonah heads to Tarshish in a, mon- in a minute. But it's, about, uh, it's a large city. It's about 60 miles across, they say. In, 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 in the book of uh, uh, here in Jonah, in chapter 2, it talks about them being about three days' journey from one end of the city to the other end. So about 60 miles, they say, 20 miles a day walking um, is the normal uh, travel by foot. So it's a giant city. It's powerful. It's rich. And God sends Jonah, this, this small prophet from Israel, sends him to this giant city with this message of turn or burn, right? Now, traditionally, prophets, they, they prophesy to their own people, their own group of people, right? And, and even if they're prophesying about other nations or other events, they still talk to their own people. They would enforce God's covenant uh, with them. And so a prophet would show up to this community that, that was from this community, would show up and say, listen, you're cheating on your wife. You're not supposed to do that. You're, you're getting hammered on the weekends, you're, you're not being faithful to the relationship you've, you're coveted to. That type of stuff, right? 
The prophets would prophesy to God's people about their sin and the breaking of the covenant that they made with God. But this time it's different. We got Jonah being told by God to go and preach to people who are not following God. They don't know God. They didn't know who Yahweh was. They didn't have this covenant relationship with him. Well, this seems like a a killer job for a prophet, right? Not so much maybe a, a pastor who desires relationship with people. But here you get to go and you just get to point your finger at people and tell them they're going to die, right? You would think Jonah would be excited about this, right? Finally, he gets to go to tell people that he doesn't know that God is going to destroy them if they don't change their wicked ways, right? I know a lot of church people who would love this type of assignment from God, right? (laughs) Insert themselves into a community and just point fingers, right? We throw truth bombs and then we walk away, right? And so these people, until God sends them, they use Facebook, But seriously, Jonah, it's time for Jonah. He can pull out his bullhorn. He can make his picket signs. This is his chance for fire and brimstone, right? But what does he do? It says that he runs. He does completely the opposite that you think we would do. He runs from God. He runs from this great opportunity. Verse 3. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish, which uh, he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So he heads out to this, this, this city of Tarshish. And it's not like he's just running to another church, like from this church to that church or even from town to town. He's actually running to a place where he can even run further. If you look back at the map real quick, Tarshish is the main shipping point for Spain. This was one side of the world to the left of the other side of the world. So he wasn't just going to get away from God. He was going somewhere to where he could go even further. So that wasn't his destination. That was where he was going to get on a boat to even go further away from God. God sent Jonah. Jonah said, no. Well, this is where we find our place in the story. God often tells you and I to go. And we do the same thing that Jonah did. We run. And maybe not for the same reasons. And it might not be go and preach the gospel, but God is telling you to do something. And there are many reasons that you and I, we run from God. Very similar to the reasons Jonah ran. First is we struggle with obedience. And some of us, we don't even like to hear that word, right? But in essence... We just don't want to do what God is telling us to do. God might be saying to you, listen, I want you to serve in the kids program on Sunday mornings. Or I want you to serve the poor. I I want you to, to talk to your neighbor. Maybe he wants you to be the spiritual leader of your family. And for whatever reason, when it, when it, when the closer the calling gets, we're more likely to run from it. So God says, you know, to Bryson city or to Silva or Cherokee, He says, I want you to do something at your job or at your church. I want you to forgive your father. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anything but home, right? Anything but that. And so we run. Another reason we run from God is in his calling is we're ashamed of our sin. How in the world can I do this for God when I struggle with my own sin for so many years? How how can I speak to that person about anything? We run because we fear rejection. We don't think God cares or we don't think God is good. 
Or we can't reconcile things in our lives. And so we run from God. We, We get away. We're attracted to other things more than we're attracted to God. We believe those things will be more satisfying. We love those things more than we love God. So addictions, whether it's substance or just the addiction of chaos in your life, or addicted to self, or addicted to work, or addicted to your kids. We run because we we can't understand the pain that we're in or the pain that we've been through. We look at our circumstances and we, we try to find God in that and we weigh pain and suffering and, and but loving God and, and, I, and I can't reconcile those things and so we run. Those things don't add up and so I'm going to run from God. Some of us are burned out in our faith. And this is what I call the, the done crowd, right? I'm, I'm done with, with God. I'm done with church. And honestly, I've had plenty of struggle with this. Sometimes I just want to be done with church. But I know if I walked away now, if I ran, then I'd be running from God. But maybe you're like, I, I'm just tired of this Christian thing. I'm, I, I grew up with this. I, I read my Bible. I was praying, Sunday school, all of it. But I'm still not fixed. And so we run. So whether it's rebellion or shame or, or doubt or idolatry or, or pain or, or, or just burnt out, we run. Well, my question for you is if you're running from God, where are you going, right? Running from God is quite funny if you think about it. Like if you were sitting at the coffee house with someone having this conversation and they said, hey, I'm just going to run from God. You'd be like, dude, you can't run from God. And they'd be like, oh, no, I got it. I know it's never been done, but I, I have this idea. And you're like, okay, whatever, keep, keep running, right? But sometimes for many of us, we, we're, we don't get, it's until we get down to the end of the road that we realize that we're even running from God. I've said this before, I love the TV show Cops. Anyone else love that show? It's reality TV at its best. Just a camera and run, go. And I love it. It's funny to watch people try to outrun the police. It's funny, especially when they have the helicopter with the infrared technology on it, right? Where they, they're just down there and they can see the body going through houses. And, you know, it's, like, it's funny. They're like, okay, he just went through the house, right? He, he's under the boat. Wait, wait, he just covered his eyes. You'll never find him. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to kind of see this. It's like playing hide and seek with your toddler, right? You know, they're just like this and, you know, like they can't be seen. That's the same thing when we try to run from God. Just surrender, man. Quit, quit trying. But we still do it. We say, maybe if God, if I ignore him, then he'll just ignore me. Or if I cover myself in enough sin, then he'll just give up on me. Or if I find other things to worship, well, he'll eventually walk away, right? We're back to the story. So we know at this point, verse 3, that Jonah is running. We don't know why he's running yet. We just know that he's fleeing the Lord. And in verses 4 through 16, we get, we get this great picture of God dealing with Jonah. It's the same picture we get when we're running from God. Verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. We got this great wind, this storm, this chaos of life hits us. And on top of that, you have this mixed group of sailors on the boat. And they're scared. They don't don't know what to do. And so he's like, okay... Everyone start praying to their God, right? And whatever you hear back, report, okay? We just, just go, start praying. 
And when that doesn't work, they, they start to do it on their own. They start to get to work, right? They start throwing cargo overboard, trying to lighten the load, do whatever they can on their own. They begin to rely on what they know to do when the storm hits. And this whole time, Jonah is below deck sleeping. In fact, it says that he was deep asleep. It's tragically funny, but when we run from God, it seems we become less attentive to the things going on around us. We got all this stuff going around, uh, going on around us, and we're asleep at the wheel. We're ignorant of the circumstances around us because we're sleeping. And for whatever reason, Jonah, he must have thought that he was just, he was done with God. He was done dealing with God. He'd gotten away. He had run far enough away from God to deal with him. And so he's like, I'm just going to close my eyes and go to sleep now. We do this. We say, I'm done with God. I'm walking away. I'm moving on. As if God was a commodity, right? That we can add on or take away anytime we want. Well, I'm done with him. We had a good run, you know, together, the two of us, but, but I'm out. I'm done. We do it with church. I'm just not going to go anymore. We do it with giving. I'm just I'm not going to give. We do it with serving. Hey, I'm done. I'm not serving anymore. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to love God. You don't have to worship God. That doesn't mean you're done with him. So Jonah is sleeping. Back to verse 5. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep in a, in a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And this is when they realized that Jonah is at fault for the mess they're in. Verse 8, so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And this is where Jonah, this is a very powerful statement here in verse 9. This is, this is key to the story. Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and the rougher. And they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Now, they know that this guy is a prophet of God. And they know that he is running from God. But they're not about to throw this prophet of God into the water, right? They're not about to throw him to his death. They, they know that God's already mad. He sent a storm. We're just going to, we got to get him to shore. Let's get Jonah to shore. We'll pat him off and, you know, say, hey, God, sorry, we didn't know, and, and leave him, right? Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. The reason this book is very popular in the Hebrew culture and in, in, in literary culture is because this is a, a chasm is, is created in this story. This is a literary term where the elements in the beginning of the story correspond to the elements at the end of the story. And so in the beginning of the story, you have these men who are, they fear the storm, right? 
And so they fear the storm, so they pray to, to many gods. And then they find Jonah asleep. And now we're at the story where Jonah is overboard. They pray to the God. And then they fear the Lord and worship him. Verse 10, they realize that they are dealing with the God. In verse 9, Jonah comes to terms with who he is. A Hebrew who worships the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and land. It's that moment when you and I are, are running from God. Every feels, everything feels like it's in our control. And then something pops, right? And we realize that this is the God of the universe that we're dealing with. We thought it was just our circumstances, right? We thought we were just, we were just out of money or, or that we were just super busy and that's why our marriage sucks. I thought I had this habit that I could break. I, I thought it was me that I just wasn't reading the Bible enough or I wasn't praying enough. Reality is, is that you're dealing with God even in your sin. And Jonah is now paying attention. He realizes that this, is, this was God the entire time, that he didn't get away from God, that he didn't run far enough away. Your marriage sucks, and so you're like, well, we just don't get along, or we're just not meant for each other, or whatever you, you think. No, you're dealing with God. Maybe your kids are running from God. Listen, they won't outrun God. Maybe it's your past. Whatever's in there, sin, pain, abuse. We know the story of the prodigal son. What brought him back to the father wasn't his circumstances. It's that he was dealing with God. He ran from God and it was God he ran back to. There is no sin in your past or present that God cannot complement with his loving grace and sovereignty. There's no tragedy so great that he cannot complement it with his goodness. You can't run away from him. You can't get away. You can respond any way you want, but you can't run from God. Now, I'm aware that this isn't all of us. I'm not speaking to a crowd full of people that are sold out running from God. Those people usually don't go to church. But some of us run away from God by making it look like we're running to him. We begin to be really religious, right? We're working hard to earn our salvation. We don't want grace. We don't want God. We want, we want to earn it. I don't want handouts from him. But that doesn't work. See, our God is a loving God in a scary way. We read chapter 1 of Jonah, and God doesn't seem very loving, right? We have repent. Well, we don't like that word. We have storms and chaos, and well, we don't like those things. And then we have Jonah's death sentence, throw him into the sea. Well, we don't like that. But these are all acts of mercy. These are acts of love. If there was no love, there would be no command to go to Nineveh in the first place. Let them die. Let them, let them be wiped out in their wickedness. If there was no love, there would have been no pursuit of Jonah. If there was no love, there would have been no storm. The sailors would have never recognized that the one true God, they would have never began to worship Yahweh. God wanted the people of Nineveh to be redeemed, not destroyed. And it's the love that drives the Father to do these acts of mercy. 
This was a furious storm of jealous love coming after Jonah, revealing himself to the sailors. And Jonah's death becomes his salvation. But in his running, he didn't see it. You ever try to hug someone who doesn't want to be hugged? Ever done that? You know, you, you, know, you, you try it with your toddler. I remember Maisie. She's three or four years old. And she would arc her back and she would twist. And, you know, but I could get a hug in there, right? She wasn't that strong. She's 11 and she's strong now, right? You know, she's tough. And so I got to put her in a headlock or a full Nelson or, or even a sleeper hold at times just to get a hug in there, right? But when she's in that hug, she knows that I love her. Or she passes out because I squeeze her until she knows. But God's love is not always coddling. It's always comforting, though. There's wind blowing. There's waves crashing. There's furious storms. And his love swallows you and it tosses you around. But love is his essence. And God is driven by love. If not, then there would be no need to send Jonah, right? Warning them to repent. There would be no rebellious prophet sent to reach out. No pagan sailors meeting Yahweh. So the issue for you and I is not, is God good? The issue is, is, That God's love is dangerous. It's furious. It's jealous. And get this. God is willing to risk your physical and material comfort to bring you into an eternal spiritual relationship with him. God is willing to risk your physical and material comfort to bring you into an eternal spiritual relationship with him. Now, if that bothers you, if that to you sounds bad, The issue is not whether God loves you or not. It's that he is God and you're not. And that ticks you off. Who is this guy? Who is this God that can jump in with storms and and whales and just dictate this? Who is this guy? I can't even get my kids to pick up up their toys. And he comes in with, with a whale and with a storm. Who? Why? God. Because he is God. And if that's what is bothering you, if your struggle is because he is God and you're not, well, welcome to the club, right? This was founded in Genesis 3 by the first human. I want to be God. I want to close with this. Let me invite the band on stage. In the story of Jonah, you have God's loving wisdom on display. Nineveh needed salvation. So God called a rebellious prophet. And on the way, he saved some sailors, right? If you're running from God, God's love will complement your free will. He won't usurp it. God's loving power beautifully orchestrated in this story. Creation is brought in through a wind and a whale. A prophet was on the run and a loving God who wants everyone to experience salvation. And he used everything to get his attention. So I want you to look at your life. Look at your past. 
God is in all of it. He's not an angry God. He's a loving and merciful, jealous and furious God whose love at times is reckless. Would you stand with me while the band begins to play? I want to read Romans 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we are also glory in the sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was coming after us. He came after Jonah to to get into the water instead of Jonah. He comes to take your cross and take my cross. Today we need to surrender to that grace that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And Christ poured out his love on you. Pray with me, God. Today we worship you. Thank you for this story that we can enter into where you revealed to us as this great, merciful, ferocious God who loves us at times recklessly. God, may we be embraced in that love today. At times when we don't want to be embraced, you wrap your arms around us. Find us, God. Speak that love to us in the waves and the storms. In the chaos of life, speak to us. Your name we pray. Amen. Worship with me.